station, but we're here for a real education. Welcome to A Real Education. I'm your host, Tim Wick, joined as always by my co-host, Melissa Kersher, who is a movie, what are we going to call her today? Historian! Yay! A movie historian. And uh, normally we're joined by our movie non-expert, Jenny Young. Unfortunately, she is not here this evening, so we had to pull in a stunt, Jenna. This proved to be more difficult than we thought. But because <laughs> it's December, it's and December. Everybody is scheduled for everybody's December. Everybody's doing something. So uh, we have here Sean O'Laughlin. Yay, it's me. Yay. And uh, <laughs> Melissa, you know Sean O'Laughlin from having worked at the video store mm-hmm. uh, Suncoast Pictures back when there was uh, when they had video stores. Yeah, way back when. Way back yeah. in the two thousands. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we are here to watch the movie Hugo. So uh, what we have to do is we have to uh, point out, Sean, you have. Not not seen Hugo. I have not seen Hugo. All right. And uh, we need you to tell us what you know about the film. Well, um, it is about the uh, French uh, cinematographer, uh, I believe, that uh, okay. that made the From the Earth to the Moon. Okay. Uh, and it's animated, and it's done in the style of like Polar Express. Okay. Okay. And that's about all I know about it. Okay. 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 That's a good start. Okay. That's a good start. Yeah, very good Uh, start. It's not all right, but we're not going to tell you what's wrong. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Or we may. Uh, But I I don't know. I think, uh, you know, to frame this, I don't want to go too much into spoilers for the listeners. Yeah. Uh, The important thing is this is a Martin Scorsese film, Mm -hmm. which uh, we've done one other Martin Scorsese film, which is Goodfellas. And uh, Hugo is quite possibly the film by Martin Scorsese that is least like Goodfellas. <laughs> it's absolutely true. Uh, I, You know, I think there, there's really the only connection you can draw between this film and Goodfellas is that Martin Scorsese directed it. Correct. Uh, the rest of it pretty much not even in the same kind of ballpark. It, it doesn't uh, even have Leonardo DiCaprio in it. No! Which, <laughs> which is... Which makes it like the only movie in like 15 years that Scorsese has made that doesn't include Leonardo DiCaprio. Well, neither Leonardo DiCaprio or Robert De Niro, which True. pretty much covers every other film that Martin <laughs> Scorsese has made. Uh, With the and, exception of Bringing Out the Dead, which has Nicolas Cage factor. But anyway. Yeah, anyway. That, <laughs> I said almost every almost, other film. Almost. Or maybe I did say every. I, and the point is... <laughs> No Leo DiCaprio, no Robert De Niro, and yet still Mm -hmm. a Martin Scorsese film. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, uh, you know, Martin Scorsese, uh, like like a lot of modern directors who are well-known, is uh, a student of film, of the history of cinema. He he may be one of the greatest driving forces for uh, restoration and preservation of film right now. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, he. I mean, beyond even most directors, he is a great lover of classic film, silent film, foreign film, and he has been a great champion of preserving these works of art. So, I mean, what I'm what I'm going to say in a non-spoiler kind of way is this movie really speaks to that passion. Oh yes, <laughs> of Scorsese's in a very direct way, mm-hmm. um, and it's uh, it's. Well, I mean, I'm, it's the only Scorsese film my kids have seen yet. Um, <laughs> Which, 
It says a lot. <laughs> Be- because reasons. Because reasons. Well, um, anyway, uh, the, my kids are around swearing a lot because, you know, I'm their dad. But still, uh, so that, that also speaks to the kind of film that, that we're about to see. Right. I, I don't know. Do you have any other thoughts that we should offer before we just go watch the film, yeah, Melissa? Just, let's just go watch it. Let's just go watch the goddamn film. Yeah. All right. Uh, we'll be back with Sean. He's still here. It's just he didn't have anything else to add yet. I, I don't know what I'm supposed to add, so I'm just going to watch, watch a movie then. There. Yeah. You you did just as well as Jenna at this point. <laughs> so we'll be back in a little bit. Yay. And we are back. Automatons have been fixed. Mm-hmm. Trains have Crashed. come into stations. Uh, and <laughs> Many things have been wound. Many things have been wound. There's been lots of winding. Uh, so, Sean, you are our stunt Jenna, and that means it is your job, having watched Hugo for the first time, to tell us what you thought of the film. Uh, well, it was mostly what I expected. Okay. Um, the... The plot that I was really expecting was for the the boy to uh, kind of reignite the the uh, older man's uh, passion for for his craft. Uh huh. Um, that was kind of the main theme that I was expecting, and that happened. So. Mm-hmm. So there you go. <laughs> so expectations fulfilled. <laughs> yes, expectations fulfilled. <laughs> Other than it being animated, I don't know why I came up with that one. Well, it well, is kind of animated. There's a lot of CGI. But, I uh, mean, like an, a lot, an extraordinary amount of CGI. Yes, they must yeah. have shown some of that in the in the trailers with the uh, flying through the the train station and so on. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's and, the big dazzling shot. It, yeah, the and, shot. and various parts in the movie where they're uh, flying around through gears and. Uh, and towers and clocks and it's like, like that and it's like a whole movie of the Lionsgate logo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. There's a lot of clocks. A lot of a lot clocks. Of clocks. Um, <laughs> a lot of clocks. Not not anything else. Um, but it really, I, it's it's. <laughs> we'll just dance past that one, won't it's, we? <laughs> it's it's nothing like any other Scorsese film. No, yeah. and uh, yeah. I. I don't think that it was advertised as as, uh, as such. I actually thought that it was made by the same people that made uh, Polar, Express Polar Express and things like yeah. that because it seemed to be advertised as such. So, so I I didn't even know that it was by Scorsese. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, it becomes clear it's Scorsese when it goes into film history land. Yeah, because you can you can tell like the first half of the movie is like eh, I have this kids movie here. I've got to make. <laughs> and, then, and then, and then, and then, when you start getting into the film history stuff, that's when Scorsese's like, "Yes, I'm at home. Give me." Right, <laughs> and, was, and that's when it like drops into the lower gear and just moves along. And I was expecting that to start much earlier in the yeah, film. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was expecting that to be kind of the, you know the, one of the the main things, um, talking about the history of film and and all of this. Uh, George Méliès' uh, creations and so on, and so I was, I was expecting that kind of plotline to pick up much earlier in the yes. film, <laughs> rather than at the very, very end. 
I, uh, I saw the um, the the uh, the marketing for this movie was baffling, but um, pretty much I went in the first time I saw it knowing nothing about the film except hey Scorsese I will see this, and here is my money thank you. <laughs> so I didn't even know about the George Mouillet angle at okay. all. So I went in I was like oh, it's a kids film it's kind of let's let's be honest it's a little clunky um, <laughs> like the first half and then and then George it starts in the George Mouillet stuff it's like. It's a. It turns into this love letter to silent filmmaking, and I'm like, I'm overclamped. <laughs> it's just this stuff. This stuff is beautiful. <laughs> well, it's a love letter to silent filmmaking. Yeah. It's a love letter to film restoration. I mean, it, yeah. there, there, there's so much of it about about film preservation, and and he's 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 throwing in all of his work in film preservation when mm-hmm. when he's when he's got this this stuff about how Millier's films were lost mm-hmm. and and he and he's creating this this tragedy not just for Meliers but for for everybody the idea that these these amazing movies might be lost and nobody could ever see them again mm-hmm. and it's Scorsese saying just think of all the amazing movies that you love now that could be lost I, mm-hmm. I actually just saw a thing on the internet that that said you might be a historian if you feel bad about the loss of the library of Alexandria <laughs> and it's a very similar feeling that, mm-hmm. you know, he had 500 films and almost all of them were lost. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so you can feel that, that love uh, for it yeah. um, mm-hmm. in the movie. Well, they talk about finding 80. And I, I, I don't know if you looked up in your research, Melissa, if that's I, I think fair. that's the actual num about the number that we have now. Yeah. I mean, and that's, you know, I, I we're mean, talking things- about... Not even one fifth of the number of films he made, yeah, are left. Yeah, um, and that's you know, I mean, there there are tons of films from the silent era that have been lost. Oh, amazing amounts of them. And I mean, when I mean, think about it. The Milliers was working in like the nineteen, like nineteen hundred ish to nineteen fifteen ish. That was when he was making movies. Yeah, and. Um, the Hugo is set in the 1930s. So even by that time, these movies are 20, 25 years old. And that is, if they're not being preserved in controlled environments, that film is rotten. Well, and the I film, mean, even by the 1930s. Yeah, the film stock yeah. was probably nowhere near the quality that it is now. And explosive. Hooray! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yay! So when you're watching him use all those pyrotechnics, you're like, they could be killing themselves! <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do they understand? that the medium that they're using <laughs> they're artists catch on fire <laughs> they can't be they... chained by explosives <laughs> <laughs> it's the danger that makes it worth it <laughs> yeah I think uh, there's other stuff going on in this movie too I was saying to Melissa in the middle of it you know there's there's a rear window aspect oh yeah there's a whole voyeurism thing I mean there there are hints dropped for for tons and tons of movie history uh, throughout the film. I mean, uh, one of the reasons this popped into my head uh, to have this follow-up Safety Last is because there are several references to Harold Lloyd and Safety Last. and they, The kids actually literally watch. Yeah, they, the kids actually go watch Safety, Safety Last, Last. And then, you know, of course, uh, obviously later in the movie, there's Hugo hanging off hanging a clock face. What? Yeah. What? I'm shocked. How did that happen? <laughs> Where did you get that idea? I just don't know. But I'm but also the the comedy's rather broad. Um, 
And the, I mean, part of that is because it's a kids movie, but also well, the it has a very silent movie yeah. comedy aspect. And Especially it, in the in the first first act, I guess it, mm -hmm. um, there are lots of parts where he's just kind of watching what's going on in the train station. And it feels very pantomime. Yeah, you know where the people are talking to each other, but a lot of the times you can't really hear what they're actually saying, right. and and their you know their gestures are very broad, and so it feels like a silent film at the beginning. It seems very intentional. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, okay. I mean, it is it is clearly his intent to ape silent film mm -hmm. in what he's doing in that in that early part of the movie uh, and and later as well. I I I, I love the <clears throat> you know they talk about the train coming into the station. Mm -hmm. and of course, later his nightmare is that same film, which is uh, yes, and also the um, and then there's another layer onto it because there was an actual train accident at Montparnasse where the train just charged right out of the station and fell down the two story. Uh, so that there, was a real event. That was a real event. So, uh, dear listeners, if you look up, I, I think it's Montparnasse train accident, you'll see this amazing uh, black and white photograph that looks unreal because literally it's a train engine uh, is stuck on this like two or three story uh, 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 fall <laughs> and it's just kind of leaning up against the train station so yeah he pulls from that um, I I'm not a big advocate of 3d I think I find yeah. it annoying and I don't like to pay extra money to watch something that I think is annoying but uh, this film was 3d and actually I thought use 3D in ways that was that were creative and actually made the 3D intent work a little better. Like mm -hmm. you know, he talks about how early audiences would see the train coming at them and would like try and get out of the way because mm -hmm. because they didn't understand moving pictures really. Um, and so when the film's in 3D, when it was in 3D in the theaters you would actually see the audience watching the movie the way the way they show it and you would see the train coming off the screen mm -hmm. so he uses 3D cre to create that perception that that first audience had which i thought was very clever and one of the first times that i was like oh somebody's using 3D in a way that actually makes tense se makes sense from a storytelling standpoint because 3D to me doesn't doesn't do any better job telling a, f a film story. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it's a very rare filmmaker who knows how to do 3D right, and um, nobody's really hatched that egg yet because 3D comes in and out, and, and nobody's really found a truly genuine way to make it the next leap forward. But uh, with with seeing this in the theater in 3D was amazing, and Scorsese was playing with stuff like you know the when you see a film projected inside the movie, a lot of times it's 2D, but it's projected over moving curtains that are opening, and the curtains are 3D. So you're seeing the 2D warping around the curtains and and stuff like that, or like the final scene where Ben Kingsley is talking in front of the screen and he puts a cigarette in his mouth and ducks and then he's part of the movie again right uh, you know th there's all sorts of playing with depth and um 2d versus 3d and it's the closest it was i've dazzling. seen the closest yeah. i've seen to 3d being used as a storytelling device mm -hmm. um and and also scorsese was really getting to these super long held shots which is one of the hints about actually making th 3d watchable because it, it takes more time for your eyes to adjust to a new shot when it, they're adjusting to 3D versus 2D. 
And what a lot of people do wrong, like especially with movies that are made and then 3D converted later, the, the shot length is too short. So you can't really focus on the movie very well. Whereas Scorsese here is using long, long, long shots, like these continual unbroken shots where you're just moving through space and uh, like the, the opening shot or the shot in the apartment at the end, those are just all a single shot. And so it it's actually using 3D to set the space and you're just kind of flying through it. There's actually, and i got to remember to put this in the show notes, uh, mm-hmm. l- recently there's been a, a thing that's making the rounds on Facebook, which is uh, a YouTube video that shows you that final shot. Oh, yes, as, yes, yes. And it's side by side. So you see the shot in the film and then you see the shot as it was being composed in the studio. Yeah, it's in, the it, the the apartment shot at the end. Yeah, the, the that final mm-hmm. one shot, and which is was done in one shot. I mean, there's CG that's that's put in there, but the camera shot itself is done as a single shot, and then the CG is introduced in the parts where it's needed. But a lot yeah. of it is done in camera. It's actually, I think, when you watch it, surprising how much of it it was done. Yeah. In camera. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, the opening shot, if I remember, was was pretty much entirely CG, or you know, there were you know maybe well, images of of people put in there. But that the the single sh- opening shot, um, if I remember, it took a year to animate. Wow, uh, like a thousand computers, one year of rendering. But but the shot like the, then there's another and I can't is it part of the opening shot we just watched it I can't remember but the shot where Hugo is like moving through the steam tunnels mm-hmm. that all was a that's set practical. yeah that's all practical yeah um, which I had thought was not mm-hmm. I was like there's no way they could have done this without without doing some CG work but it actually is all practical mm-hmm. um, now I'm pretty sure neither um, Melissa and I both saw this film for the first time. Not for the first time. Not for the first time. For the second we both time. Saw it, we both saw it before. We at, both saw it yeah. before we saw it at Butnamathon, yeah. which is a movie festival we go to every year. Um, and it was the opening film. Mm-hmm. And the film that they showed immediately following was Georges Méliès' Voyage, Voyage to, to the, the Moon. moon uh, with a live music Accompaniment, which yeah. was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, they had uh, they had Graham Revel, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah, he came in and did the music for it. So that was that was kind of a cool one-two kind of experience. Mm-hmm. I still, still think it's uh, funny that my introduction to the the Voyage to the Moon was the Smashing Pumpkins <laughs> uh, <laughs> music video that they that they put themselves into it. Um, so that was the first time that I actually knew all of of that film mm-hmm. um, and then later saw saw the, the whole original but um i you know i don't remember the first time i saw it uh it is yeah. i think the first time i saw a lot of it was um the uh series from the earth to the moon it was an hbo series oh, about yeah. about yeah. the apollo missions and the final episode of that series actually is like telling the story of the final Apollo mission, but also telling this parallel story about the making of uh, the From the Earth to the Moon by George Mills. Yes. So that was probably my first mm-hmm. really in-depth experience with that. 
film. Uh, it's a very, I mean, it's it's so old. It's in public domain. You can stream it just about anywhere. I mean, yeah, you, can, you just hit YouTube. It's there. It's on Netflix. Actually, yeah. a very nice print of it's on Netflix, if I remember right. It's a nice cleaned up one. And you can, I think there's other George Melies stuff on uh, on yeah. Netflix. On, I mean, it, just about any film by George Melies, if it's if it's available, if somebody's digitized it, mm-hmm. uh, you can you can find it online because it's all public domain. Nobody yep. has to. There there are no rights to deal with, mm-hmm. so they can they can just plaster it out there everywhere, and they have, and <laughs> um, it's good it's good film history. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, you know I should check, Melissa. You have some notes. Have we have we covered oh, any of we're, your notes? We're we're moving right through them. How yeah. are we doing? Um, uh, the <laughs> I wrote down a lot of things that are actually covered in the movie, so it's like, well, you already saw that. But uh, yeah, I, the the movie is pretty factual about George Melies because of course it's Scorsese, and you know he wouldn't be fictionalizing any of that <laughs> so, um, so it, he did go lost essentially for, for yeah, many he, years he, and then they yeah, found he, him again yeah he he kind of um th- it wasn't just the war that that wrecked his film st- studio he also went bankrupt for various reasons and uh you know what little he had left he bought a toy store in the montparnasse station and sold toys and candy and uh, basically lived off of that and the generosity of some other filmmakers and so for the longest time that's what he did and um, eventually there was a revival of interest in his movies just like we saw here it wasn't necessarily because of a you know orphan boy who roamed the tunnels of of Montparnasse and but wound and wound the wound the clocks <laughs> but clock <yeah>. boy <laughs> but yeah he did marry his uh, uh, one, of, one of his frequent actresses and you know lived with his goddaughter and that you know that whole thing was true and he was a magician before he was he a was, filmmaker. He was a magician and illusionist, and uh, yeah, interesting guy. He he built automatons. That was going to be my question. Yeah, yeah, and the um, I'm I don't guessing that the the, 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 the the automaton in the film is I'm guessing probably more complex than anybody could have built at the time. Although, n- not true. If you look up some of the uh, uh, automatons made in the 1700s. Um, those things are insane. They will make drawings. They uh, well, yeah, you know, I think and, the, and with I, the, the head gestures, the whole thing. I think the complexity. The complexity of the drawing, of the drawing because, is probably because there's too not. Elaborate. They couldn't have put that much information into you know that kind of. I mean, it's right. it's essentially a player piano, and you know mm-hmm. you can only there, there wasn't anyway. I, well, I, I yeah, can explain yeah, that, mechanically that, why it doesn't make sense. That the automaton could draw that. Well, you saw the you saw the cylinders, and they weren't very big. Yeah, but yeah, that's um, a pretty complex drawing to but have. he he built but 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 that that aside you know yeah. with that that the, as far as willful suspension of disbelief goes that's pretty light um mm-hmm. <laughs> because the automaton itself is not impossible mm-hmm. um and uh, also it's really hard to that have that sort of control with a you know a Ink pen, a yeah. deep ink pen. Yeah. <laughs> there are no splatters on the paper. I am taken out of the reality of this. Movie. <laughs> <laughs> and he could program his signature perfectly too. I was, I was impressed. Anyway, yeah. I, yeah. That yeah. again, it's it's such a minor detail that's it's not important. And and it's um, and it's X Y N Z because uh, you have to be able to lift the pen. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> 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 but yeah, yeah. I mean, in the 17th century, automatons were all the rage, and you know there are some crazy things that people built. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, it, it, so most of the facts about George Melies in this film are are accurate. Though yeah. the 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 film is based on a 
on a children's book uh, written by, now I have to look at my notes, what's the guy's name? Um, Brian Selznick. And uh, the book came out in about 2007. It's it's actually pretty interesting for a kid's book. It's, it's like 500 page, pages. It's a big long. book. It's immense, but it's half pictures because uh, Selznick is also an illustrator. So, uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of hand-drawn illustrations along with all the text and... The, yeah, and is it essentially the same time period as the movie? Does yeah, it's it com- pretty. It's encompass pretty close. the same story essentially. Yeah, it's pretty much the movie as you see it, and uh, uh, Scorsese's, I think it was his daughter, uh, gave him the book as a birthday present. So she she was actually like kind of hinting, "You should make this. You should make this book. You should make." <laughs> Really, you should make this, this book, book is like your obsession. Yes, <laughs> you should you should do this. This uh, is you in a book. Yes, <laughs> precisely. <laughs> not a book, not a book entitled "The Films of Scorsese." I mean, because that you know yeah. obviously would also be Scorsese in a book. But the point is, if it's not a book about Scorsese, if it's anyway, never mind. <laughs> um, carried away. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so. so- the um, the thing this movie also reminds me of uh, in Scorsese's past, yes, yes, I know it's not very much like his other movies, but uh, he's done a number of documentaries about other filmmakers. And um, there's, there's a movie called My Voyage to Italy. There's a voyage called A Personal Hi- History Through American Movies or something like that. Um, a few films like that where literally... It is two, three hours of Martin Scorsese nerding out about movies, and he and, and it's basically a clip show of all of his favorite movies, <laughs> and it's riveting. And he is one of the biggest film nerds in existence, and um, that's what this movie feels like to me. It's like once once it starts telling the story of George Melies, that's when that's that's Scorsese's sweet spot. It's like I get to nerd out and recreate this man's life. <laughs> And yeah, yeah. And watching it, uh, that's actually where it really picked up for me too. And it yeah. was kind of unfortunate that it was only about the last twenty percent of the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, I know. It's like I, you know, and it's more yeah. of the movie than you think. Yeah. But it it's because the movie really picks up at that point, and yeah. it feels like a lot less of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I like I think uh, you know part of it is it is a kids movie. Mm-hmm. It is a kids story, um, and. You know, I look at it, sometimes I look at it through the eyes of, like, my kids. And my kids really got into that movie and yeah. got into, got a better understanding of film history. And we're, you know, I could I could say, well, do you want to watch the original, you know, the, the Georges Méliès original? We can watch that. And they're like, yeah, I want to see that. Mm-hmm. And it might have been a difficult sell without this film. Right, right. So, you know, there's... There's the the fact that I think it's a little clunky as an adult because it is a very broad brush film. Yeah. It's not very realistic when when they're doing a lot of the the I mean very broad slapstick in the when you employ Sasha Baron Cohen for any purpose. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be fairly broad strokes. <laughs> you're, you're 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 doing you're. you're defining some of what you're doing by mm-hmm. by casting him as one of your characters, but. What it does is it it really does bring the younger audience into a position where they can appreciate the older films. And by using kids as our two protagonists mm-hmm. and having these kids appreciate these old movies, right? it makes it easier for uh, the kids to watch it. And so to me, 
I see it as is not only Scorsese nerding out about movies, but Scorsese trying to find a way to get my kids' generation mm-hmm. to appreciate film the way he does. Um, it's a movie that reminds me of Time Bandits, <laughs> because there there's a certain there there are so few kids' movies that trust that kids have intelligence <laughs> and and. It's like this material might normally be considered beyond beyond a kid's understanding, or you know, we might automatically assume that older, you know, old black and white movies would be of zero interest to kids. Um, but if you put together a movie that has a sense of wonder and and uh, you you trust that kids have the intelligence to follow along with you, they will follow you anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that I give it credit for, even yeah. though you know I agree that the part before we really start, I, I feel the movie really picks up steam around the time that Automaton actually makes its drawing. Yeah, and you start to go, and 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 you start to recognize, especially if you know the history of film, you go, oh, mm-hmm. I see where this is and who this old man is, and 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 I, I you know, I don't know exactly what's going to happen from here, but but I see how all the pieces are kind of coming together. That was so. a great surprise you know, for me when I first saw it, because like I said, I went in cold. I had no idea. Yeah. So, yeah. Ah! And I didn't I know have that moon. surprise, because that's about the only thing that I did know about ah, the movie, yeah. was, was who, who the old man was. But... <laughs> But that's okay. All right, so yeah. I think uh, I think it's probably time for final thoughts. Mm-hmm. So uh, we will start with our wonderful stunt Jenna, Sean. Sean, final thoughts about Hugo. Uh, overall, I thought that it was a little slow, and then, like I said, it uh, picked up a lot when when they really go into the history of film and history of, of who the old man George Milliers is. Um, and so that, for me, was, was the, much, the much more interesting part. Um, and, and it wasn't animated. That was a surprise. <laughs> also, Ben Kingsley. Hot damn. <laughs> also, Ben Kingsley. <laughs> Lee. And, and Christopher, Christopher Lee, Lee, who I who I did not uh, expect either, um, <laughs> just, just hanging out, being Christopher <laughs> Lee. <laughs> I want a bookshop that's run by Christopher Lee. That I just want to walk. That in would there. be the best that train station ever. That would harder be, to do now, but yes, more challenging. But you know, just putting Christopher Lee in there, being that he was. You know, I I could see him mummified, a, stood up, standing <laughs> in the corner of a bookstore. I would go there. <laughs> I was you say, know I would. Just because uh, Christopher Lee has played so many roles in so many movies over the years, just putting him in there is also kind of an ode to movie making. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. Because it's not a big part either. He's not a, a main character in any sense. Um, no, but you get a feeling that probably Scorsese was geeking out over having Christopher Lee in his movie. Mm-hmm. Like, I got Christopher yeah. Lee in my movie. Yeah. <laughs> and they probably filmed it all in one day. It's like, hee hee hee, we got Christopher <laughs> Lee for a day. <laughs> okay, Melissa, final thoughts. Um, uh, it's I, As much as I love the scenes where you actually see the Mayday's studio and the, the color and the explosions and the, you know, all the activity and all that... Uh, their actual costumes when they when they actually made those movie the, those movies everything was in grayscale because uh, when you film color things in black and white you don't necessarily 
you can't necessarily anticipate how it's going to show up in black and white later. So they just went ahead and just colored everything in grayscale so they knew how it would show up on film. Aha! Essentially just painted it all to, to have high contrast. Yeah. It's all Precisely. fake! It's all, and, and, you know, but the funny thing is, if you did that <laughs> in the film, yeah. people would have been like, that is dumb. It wouldn't Precisely. have made any sense. But, it, but it's also, you know, it's portraying the legend of this. And we're... the. And seeing the movies with the hand-tinted, uh, you know, completely obnoxious colors, um, seeing that portrayed in the studio is like an ode to how the mo- the films actually looked with all the hand-tinted colors. And right. So you know, I think it it's 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 a nice nod to, even yeah. though it's not completely factual, it's a nice nod to you know bring you into the not the fantasy of it, but the you know the spectacle of it all. Yes, awesome. So my final thought, as always, is to talk about what we're going to watch next. And uh, we've been talking about uh, Sir Christopher Lee, yeah. who who passed away just this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, uh, our next movie is going to be uh, a what, what, what? They give me the exact title again, Melissa. Horror of Dracula. Horror of Dracula. It yes. is a hammer horror film which we have not yet touched upon. Yes, we need Featuring. to do some. We need to do. Some hammer. Yeah. Hammer! Hammer! So, uh, this this will be a really fun experience for Jenna, who I'm sure hasn't seen this film. I'm pretty sure. And uh, it's... Um, I'm excited. I'm oh, excited yeah. by that. Oh, but, yeah. But uh, we, we, our link is Mr. Christopher Lee. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we look forward to that. Sean, thank you so much for coming in and being a stunt Jenna No for problem. Us Thanks for having me. Yes, we thank really you, appreciate it. Uh, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed Hugo, and I hope you uh, take this opportunity to go out to Netflix or YouTube and just look up George Milliers and find a whole bunch of his old films uh, and just watch a bunch of them. They're all short, most of them 10 mm-hmm. to 15 minutes long. Uh, and, you know, Star Wars is coming out just a couple of days after this episode goes up, <laughs> and the films of George Milliers are the great-great-grandfather of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. He is the first special effects artist, yeah. and he sets in motion, I think, the type of film that will become Star Wars. I, I was actually thinking of that as I was watching it with the... You know, uh, replacements, uh, um, you know, just hold your places. We'll take out some some props and then keep going. And they actually use that in in uh, Star Wars sometimes. Yeah, yeah. You know, for for lightsabers to to extend, they didn't have the technology for that at the time, so they just said, "Okay, hold really still, we'll replace the plop." Yep. And then there you go. Yep. Uh, yeah. Exactly. So. To appreciate Star Wars, you must first appreciate George Milliers. Right. That's what we'll say. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, so you got a couple of days. Uh, go out and watch yourself some George Milliers. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Bye. 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 We hope you enjoyed our film fixation. We'll see you next time on a real education. Dee, dee.